Thank you, choir and orchestra. August the 27th, we are going to have the grand opening for our building on 1420 Sumter Street. Most of you probably have not had the opportunity to view that yet. It is our student building. You are going to be surprised. It is absolutely magnificent. And I am looking forward to our entry into that building. It is turning out better than I ever imagined. Of course, that's not hard to do because I don't imagine very much. But it was, it's just a fabulous building. But on August the 27th, we'll have our grand opening. Throughout my ministry, I have been involved in building projects. And I've always really enjoyed building projects. But I have observed through the years that when one is involved in such a project, other things tend to be neglected. In other words, when we have too many things to do, we don't get everything done well. For instance, I can, I can spin about two plates. That's as much as I can keep in the air. Steve, I think Steve probably can spin seven or eight. I mean, he's absolutely, I don't know how he does it, but he keeps a lot of plates in the air. Philly Pooh? He gets a saucer up now and then, but that's just, that's about all that he can do. But I have noticed that when we have too many things that we become diffused and we don't do anything well. Periodically we see a, an athlete who's going to college and going to be a two-sport athlete, but most of the time that does not work out that well. I think that is also true of the church. In fact, we have many ministries in the church and I would say that they are all good, or at least most of them are good. We have a lot of different ministries and they are good. But the question in my mind is, but what does God expect from us? For what does he hold us accountable? What does God expect the church to be? Well, as I understand that from Matthew chapter 28, there are three basic responsibilities of the church. And the first is to worship God. In Matthew chapter 28, verse 17, the Bible says, when they saw him, they worshiped him. So I think the first responsibility of the church is the worship of God. That's why we have gathered together. And my question probably would be, but when we come together, we are assembled but are you worshiping the Lord? Because that is our first responsibility. We are to worship God because he's worthy of worship. Now then, if our worship is legitimate, if it is sincere, it then leads us to the second responsibility, and that is evangelism. In Matthew chapter 28, verse 19, Jesus said, Go therefore and make disciples of all the nations. So as I understand the responsibility of the church, which is threefold, I am to worship the Lord, and if my worship is sincere, if it is legitimate, then the outgrowth of that is that I become concerned about those who are lost, and I evangelize those who are lost. The third part is then I have the responsibility to disciple those who have been saved. In Matthew 28, 20, he says, teaching them to observe all that I commanded you. So what then uh, is a church to do? We do a lot of ministries. There are a lot of good things that we do. But what are we supposed to do according to the Lord? We are to worship him. We are to evangelize those who are lost. And we are to disciple those who are saved. 
As I have studied the life of Jesus, one of the things that I have noticed is that from his earliest days, he always knew his responsibility. His priority was established. His first recorded words were, Know ye not that I must be about my father's business. He understood his purpose for being here. Therefore, he lived in the shadow of the cross. Everything about Jesus was an understanding of his purpose, of his hour. Everything about him was always in the shadow of that calling that he was the Messiah, that he had a purpose. Take your Bibles, turn with me to John chapter 12, looking at verse number 20. Now there were certain Greeks among those who were going up to worship at the feast. These therefore came to Philip, who was from Bethsaida of Galilee, and began to ask him, saying, Sir, we wish to see Jesus. Philip came and told Andrew. Andrew and Philip came and they told Jesus. And Jesus answered them saying, The hour has come for the Son of Man to be glorified. Truly, truly, I say to you, unless a grain of wheat falls into the earth and dies, it remains by itself alone. But if it dies, it bears much fruit. He who loves his life loses it, and he who hates his life in this world shall keep it to life eternal. If anyone serves me, let him follow me. And where I am, there shall my servant also be. If anyone serves me, the Father will honor him. Now my soul has become troubled, and what shall I say? Father, save me from this hour, but for this purpose I came to this hour. You know, folks, there are hours, there are moments in time that define our lives. There are those events, there are those experiences that define who we are. And that was true with Jesus. There were those hours in his life that defined him. There was the hour of betrayal that Jesus was praying in the Garden of Gethsemane. And as he was praying, he was struggling with God's will, with his purpose. And then he says in Mark 14, 41, The hour has come. Behold, the Son of Man is being betrayed into the hands of sinners. You see, that, that was the beginning of the ending. He is praying, struggling about God's will for his life, always knowing that he was going to the cross. And here he says, the hour has come. The time of my betrayal has come. So there was the hour of betrayal. Then there was the hour of crucifixion in verse number 27. My soul has become troubled, and what shall I say? Father, save me from this hour, but for this purpose I came to this hour. So he was betrayed, and now then it is time for the crucifixion where he fulfills his destiny, his call. And then there is the hour of departure in chapter 13, verse 1. Now before the feast of the Passover, Jesus, knowing that his hour had come, that he should depart out of this world to the Father, having loved his own who were in the world, he loved them to the end. What I want you to see concerning Jesus 
is that there were defining times in his life. There was that hour of betrayal when he was betrayed into the hands of sinners. There was the hour of crucifixion when he died on the cross. And then there was the hour of his departure when he ascended to the Father. But there were those defining moments concerning his purpose. Moses had such an experience. Also, the, the need of Israel at the time of Moses was deliverance from Egyptian bondage. And the people of Israel had begun to pray. They're crying out to God, asking for deliverance. The Bible says in Exodus 3, And the Lord said, I have surely seen the affliction of my people who are in Egypt and given heed to their cry because of their taskmasters, for I am aware of their suffering. So they are crying out to God, asking God for deliverance. God heard their prayer, and then he met Moses at the burning bush. And that was a defining hour in Moses' life. In Exodus chapter 3, verse number 10, Therefore come now, and I will send you to Pharaoh, so that you may bring my people, the sons of Israel, out of Egypt. Now, at that point, Moses' life was defined, and that described the rest of his life, this experience, that he was going to lead the people of Israel out of bondage, that he would not be the prince of Egypt, though he had grown up in the palace, but instead he would be the deliverer of Israel. Jeremiah had an hour that defined who he was. The need of Israel at that point was a prophet. And the Bible says in Jeremiah 1, 4, and 5, Now the word of the Lord came to me, saying, Before I formed you in the womb, I knew you. And before you were born, I consecrated you. I have appointed you a prophet to the nations. There was that defining moment in his life that described the rest of his life. That defining moment that he's going to be a prophet of God. The same thing is true with us. There are those moments that define us. There are those points in time that I believe are more important than other points. But there are those points in time, those events, those moments that define who we are. Marriage, that is a defining moment in a person's life. There was a time when I knew that I wanted to spend the rest of my life with Linda as her husband. And that has defined so much of my life. So much of my life centers around that one fact that I am the husband of Linda. Determined so many decisions that I make. That was a defining moment in my life. One's career, when God called me to preach, it was a struggle for me. It was not something I had sought. It was not something I wanted to do. And I had struggled with it for a period of time. I still remember the evening when Louis Freem came to my house and we sat together and he said, Wendell, how long are you going to run from God's call? That was a defining moment for me. And it was at that time, during that discussion, during that time of prayer, that I committed my life to the Lord. If he wanted me to preach, then that's what I would do. I made that decision in that moment. I went to church the next Sunday. The invitation was extended. I walked forward, took John Bassanio by the hand, and I said, John, God has called me to preach. 
He said, Wendell, are you willing to do whatever is required to follow the Lord in this? I said, I am. He said, Linda, are you willing to do whatever God requires for you? She said, I am. He said, are you willing to eat beans for all your ministry if that is required? I didn't know he was being prophetic. (laughs) But there were a number of years that way. I mean, we had beans with mustard, beans with ketchup, beans with relish, anything we could find to put with them just to change the taste a little bit. But that was a defining moment as to who I am, defining moment in my life. When when I was a young man, people said, uh, you have to learn to separate who you are from what you do. And I thought that sounded right, and so... I bought that. I said, that, that's right. You have to separate who you are from what you do. Now that I am older, I no longer believe that actually. I can't separate who I am from what I do. I am a preacher of the gospel. That's what I do. But that also is who I am. You see, there comes those times in our life when God does a work in our life that defines us. There are those spiritual moments when we were saved, a moment in time when we trusted the Lord. Paul says, today is the day of salvation. There was that time in life when I committed my life to the Lord, and hopefully you have committed your life to the Lord. But that was a defining moment when God called you into service, and maybe it's your church home that defines so much of you. I know it is with many of you. There are some of you who have grown up in this church. You've been here all your life. You were born down in the nursery, in the choir loft or somewhere. You've been here all your life. And when you think of yourself, you think of yourself in terms of your relationship to this church. Linda and I became a part of this church in our hearts before we ever came to South Carolina because God put it there. The point that I'm making is that there are moments in time, there are hours that define us who we are. They are important hours. And when we come to such an hour, then there is a decision that must be made. Jesus came to such an hour, made a decision, verse number 27. Now my soul has become troubled. What shall I say? Father... Save me from this hour, but for this purpose I came to this hour. I want you to understand that the humanity of Jesus struggled with his divine call. It wasn't that easy. I think sometimes we think that it was an easy thing for Jesus to go to the cross. There was a struggle that ensued before he went to the cross because he had to work through his humanity. That's what happened at the Garden of Gethsemane. You read the story of Jesus in the Garden of Gethsemane praying, and the Bible says that he sweat great drops of blood. In the language that is used there, it means that he would pray. He was kneeling. He would pray. He would raise himself up, and the burden was so intense that it would press him back down, and he would raise himself back up, and it would press him back down. There was a struggle that was going on in the Garden of Gethsemane as he struggled with God's call on his life because he understood what it meant. He struggled because he understood what this meant, that he was the Messiah, he was the Savior. It meant that he would be defiled with sin, that the sinless Son of God would take on the sin of mankind. Jesus had never sinned, but now then, in order for him to pay for our sins, then he had to take our sins. And the Bible says in Colossians 2, 14, 
having canceled out the certificate of debt consisting of decrees against us and which were hostile to us, and he has taken it out of the way, having nailed it to the cross. You see, all of our sins were placed on him. Jesus was struggling in the Garden of Gethsemane because he understood that he would be defiled with my sin, with your sin. He understood that there would be separation from the Father, which there had never been, and there was. The Bible says in Matthew 27, 46, and about the ninth hour, Jesus cried out with a loud voice saying, Eli, Eli, lama sabachthani, that is my God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? I can't imagine what Jesus was going through at that time. That was the Father. Always been the Father. But here he calls him my God. My God. My God. Why hast thou forsaken me? See, he understood. That's the reason he was struggling. He understood that he would be defiled with the sins of man. He understood that he would be separated from the Father and that there was death. But he made the decision in verse 27, but for this purpose I came to this hour. There are those moments in time that are significant. There are those moments in time that are powerful because they determine who we are. They define us. And when they come, we have to make a decision. Mary had to make a decision when she was confronted with that point in time. The angel came to her and said that she was going to have a child. She resisted that idea. She said, how can that be? I am a virgin. That makes no sense. How can I have a child when I am a virgin? But then she made the decision when the Bible says, and Mary said, behold, the bond slave of the Lord, be it done to me according to your word. She understand it all. I'm sure she didn't. She was just a young girl. Did she understand all that it meant? I don't think so. What she did understand was this, that God's call is on my life. Be it done to me according to thy word. She made that decision. Moses resisted God's call on his life. When God called him there at the burning bush and said, I want you to deliver my people, Moses resisted, I understand that. He felt that he was inadequate. He said to God, who am I that I should go to Pharaoh and that I should bring the sons of Israel out of Egypt? That's a logical question to me. God, you want me to go and lead the people of Israel out of Egyptian bondage? Who am I to do that? Why should Pharaoh listen to me? He felt inadequate. And then he said, I can't speak. And in Exodus 4.10, then Moses said to the Lord, Please, Lord, I have never been eloquent, neither in time past, nor since thou hast spoken to thy servant, for I am slow of speech and slow of tongue. He resisted. He came to that hour, that defining hour in his life, and God said, Moses, I want you to be the one to lead my people out of bondage. Moses said, Lord, who am I to do that? Lord, I'm not, I'm not an eloquent speaker. I'm not an orator. How can I do that? But the point I want you to understand is that 
Moses came to the point to say, so be it. God, if that's what you have called me to do, then I am willing to do that. Jeremiah resisted God's call on his life. In Jeremiah 1.6, he said, Alas, Lord God, behold, I do not know how to speak because I am a youth. God had come to Jeremiah and said, Jeremiah, I want you to be a prophet to my people. I want you to be a prophet. He said, Lord, I'm, I'm too young. I can't do that. How can I do that? I'm inexperienced. I don't have the experience to do what you're calling me to do. But Jeremiah embraced God's call on his life and that defined Jeremiah. What do we think of when we think of Jeremiah? We think of him as a prophet. Because he came to that defining moment in life, that time in life, that hour in life, and said yes to God. Jonah, he resisted. In Jonah 1.3, but, but Jonah rose up to flee to Tarshish from the presence of the Lord. God said to Jonah, Jonah, I want you to go. I want you to go to Nineveh and lead a revival there. Well, Jonah didn't want to do that because they were the enemy of Israel. So he didn't want to do that. And so the Bible says that he went to Tarshish, which is in the opposite direction. So God said, I want you to go this way. Well, he went that way. He resisted God's call. He came to that hour in his life and he resisted God's call. But from the fish's belly, he cried out to God and yielded to God. We're no different, are we? I mean, we struggle. The truth is we struggle when God brings us to that hour. We struggle when God calls us to a place of service because we understand that God calls me there's probably a sacrifice involved, right? I mean, I know a lot of people think, well, if God could, I just walk down the aisle, shake the preacher's hand, fill out a card, and I'm good to go. But we know in our heart of hearts that if God calls us, there is probably a call to sacrifice, that there's probably a sacrifice that's involved. Maybe a sacrifice of affluence. It was for the rich young ruler when he came to Jesus and said, what do I have to do to have eternal life? And Jesus said, sell what you have and give to the poor. Well, that's not what he wanted to hear. So the Bible says that he went away sorrowful because there was a cost that was involved. And so sometimes we struggle with it because we say, well, you know, God might want me to tithe or something. You know I mean? There might be the sacrifice of affluence. Maybe there's a sacrifice of influence. I believe this, that some of you students, some of you young people, God has a plan for your life. He has a moment for you. But when you consider God's call on your life, you're hesitant and you struggle because you think, you know, if I really line up with the Lord, I might lose my friends. If I really get serious about God and my walk with God, if I really do, I might not be big man on campus. There is a cost that's involved and so we struggle. God's call is a call to sacrifice. His call is a call to service. In verse 21, these therefore came to Philip who was from the state of Galilee and began to ask him saying, sir, 
we would see Jesus. You know, the, not to disparage that, but just to use it as what I want to say. There's a lot of us just want to see Jesus. Just want to see, want to see his miracles. I want to see the show. I mean, there are a lot of people who want to, want to see the power. They just want to see Jesus, but Jesus has not called us just to see him. He's called us to serve him. James says, faith without works is dead. Oh, I want you to see the Lord because if you truly see the Lord, He is glorious. But you must understand that it is more than just seeing Him. It is serving Him. The call to Christ is a call to death. The Bible says in Matthew 16, 24, If anyone wishes to come after me, let him deny himself, take up his cross, and follow me. We hear a lot about taking up a cross. People have a cross to bear and all of that stuff. I, let me tell you what I really believe that verse is saying is that I deny the old man. I deny my old ways. I deny the old man that I might follow after Jesus. It is death to the old man and life to the new man. There's an hour decision. But here's the thing. When you yield to God's call on your life, it becomes an hour of joy. If you embrace God's call, now hear me, if you embrace God's call on your life, it comes with great joy. There's a difference between happiness and joy. Happiness, two words, two Latin words, happen and stance. Happiness comes when my circumstances are favorable. I can have joy when my circumstances are not favorable. That deep abiding joy in my heart comes when I follow the Lord and know the Lord. Jesus experienced joy when he embraced the Father's call on his life, though he struggled. The Bible says in Hebrews 12, 2, who for the joy set before him endured the cross. The Bible says that he endured the cross, didn't enjoy the cross, but there was a joy that was before him because there is satisfaction and joy in the will of the Father. When we're in the will of the Father, then there is joy. Paul found joy in the will of God. He said, I fought a good fight. And he did. He was in the battle. He said, I fought a good fight. I've kept the faith. And he kept the faith during difficult times. I finished my course. He said, I've come to the end. But there was joy. Henceforth there is laid up for me a crown of righteousness which the Lord, the righteous judge, will give me. Paul said, I fought a good fight, kept the faith, and finished the course, and now I'll die. But I'll stand before the Father to receive the crown. It was joy in his heart. Ladies and gentlemen, an hour comes. Special time defining moment, an hour comes. We struggle, that's normal. We struggle with it. I do just as you do. We struggle with that hour, but then we make a decision. I have to make a decision. You see, the hour calls for a decision. And now then I have to make a decision. And if I yield to the will of the Father, then there's great joy. I'll be honest with you. When God called me to preach, and I said it was a struggle for me, when God called me to preach, I thought my life was over. I really did. 
I thought, well, you know, I've lived a good life. I expected it to be a miserable ex existence. I really did. That's why I didn't want to preach. But it has been joy unspeakable. And if I had a thousand lives to live, I would want to live them all as a preacher of the gospel because there's such satisfaction in God's will. Let me ask you a question. Is this hour a defining hour for you? I don't know. It may be just another Sunday service. But I believe that it may also for some of you be a defining moment in your life. If so, what will you do about it? Because you have to make a decision. I would give you this advice. Solomon tried to find happiness in everything in life and he had the means to do it. This was his conclusion, however. The conclusion when all has been heard is fear God and keep his commandments. Because this applies to every person. For God will bring every act of judgment, everything which is hidden, whether it is good or evil. One day you will stand before the Father and give an account of your life and give an account of this hour. Is this a defining hour for you? I don't know. Only you can answer that. Father and God, as we come to consider your claim on our life, I just ask that the Holy Spirit speak to people's hearts and lives. And Father, that for those that you're speaking with today, just as you did with Moses, just as you did with Jeremiah, just as you did with others, Lord, that today they would say, but for this hour, for this cause came out to this hour. Lord, as they consider, I pray that today you'll put in, your heart, in their heart your will. I pray in Jesus' name. Just a moment, we're going to stand and sing. The invitation will be extended, an opportunity for you to respond to the Lord if you've never trusted Him. I hope you will today. Pray that you will today. If you're looking for a church home, we'd love to have you. It's a wonderful church. What's God calling you to? You say yes to Him today. Stand with me as we stand. They sing, you come. I'll greet you as you do.